Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about how they do their thing. And this week, I'm speaking to a very creative person. He is the writer and director of one of my favorite films that I've seen on the festival circuit in years. It's called Those People, and his name is Joey Kuhn. But before I get to Joey, um, I want to give a shout-out to Michael Simon. He donated to my virtual tip jar. I really appreciate it. It helps me keep the podcast free and pay for the little expenses that come up. If you want to do that, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. I would also love it if you're listening for maybe one of the first times or never before. If you like what you hear, subscribe. That's awesome. Subscribe on iTunes or write a review on iTunes. That's really cool. Anything that sort of helps it grow, helps more people find it, I really appreciate it. So without any further ado, here is Joey Kuhn, the writer and director of the film Those People, which drops today, June 14th, on video on demand and DVD. Check it out. Hey there, I am in the beautiful home of a couple named Stephen and Elisa, who are friends of my guest today, Joey Kuhn. He's the writer and director of the new movie, Those People, which I adore and can't wait to talk about. But there's a fun backstory to how you came to be in this house, how we came to be with these people. Yes. Uh, You introduced them. I did. Okay, break it down. You're like a matchmaker. I am, and I deserve uh, some sort of special recognition. Okay, so tell tell us the, the basics. Okay, so... Um, I've been friends with Steven since college. Okay. And we lived together a one and a half times. Um, what do you mean by the half time? Uh, it didn't work out the first time. You just time. had half of your body in the house and <laughs> half on the street? No, he moved out like okay. a month and a half uh, okay. into the semester. <laughs> All right. But, um, and then my friend Elisa I've known since I'm three years old. And right. we always knew Steven had a thing for Elisa. Right. Um, so at my 26th birthday, okay. um, I made all of my friends dress in black tie and we had a dinner party, and I purposely sat them next to each other. And then from that night on, they were together, and they got engaged 11 months after that, and they're married. Cut to, you have a place to stay whenever you come to L.A. I do. It's really wonderful. It's and a, and it's a fabulous place in a beautiful neighborhood. And now, I love that you mentioned the black tie thing, because in your movie, those people, they're about young people... And some of them are rich, and some of them are struggling and trying to make ends meet, which I love that it wasn't all of one. But there's an elegance to it, and they dress up, and they have things like that. Do you? Is that something you like in your life? Uh-huh. So, do you have um, a lot of ties? I, I bet you know how to tie a bow tie. I do. I mean, I've had to watch a couple YouTube videos, you know, over the years to learn how to do it. I have a YouTube video story for later in the podcast. Uh-huh. We don't want to, you know, we'll, uh-huh. we'll leave that. We'll tease yeah. that. But I, I love formal wear. I've always loved formal wear since I was growing up. I always wanted to be in a fancy little outfit. Um, so any chance... Like, are your school pictures impeccable in terms of your outfit choice? Um... The ones when I'm very young, you know, when my yeah. mom was kind of helping me dress, and then I think once you hit puberty, you, right. you know, you're trying to fit in a little bit more. And right. I wasn't exactly wearing formal wear, formal wear to a high school. Right. But any chance I get to put my friends in formal wear, I take it. That's so, so everyone's I, like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think some of them love it. And you know, especially now in the age of like Instagram and everyone documenting everything. Right. At, during the celebration, they love that they get to have pictures of their friends looking their best. And that for me, that's what it's about. You know, I just like to see my friends looking their best and um, just give people a chance to celebrate. Like, I think, you know, both in my movies and in my life, I like to create worlds, um, like all-encompassing worlds, uh, a little little magical element to and it. And you like to do that in your life. What's another example of how you do that, in addition to the formal wow thing? Are you, like, somebody um, that has big parties or... Yeah, so for my, my 25th birthday party, right. I had a huge party and the theme was glitter. 
Glitter the Mariah like, Carey movie? Glitter like the Mariah Carey movie. Because I read in your like bio that you're a diehard Mariah Carey fan. I, I was am like, a lamb, a giant lamb for life. Hashtag lamely. Um, that must be hard to... You know, you must have a lot of ups and downs being a Mariah fan. I do. No, uh, no joke. Like, on the days when she has a bad performance or there's bad press about her, like, it really affects me. <laughs> oh, my God. That, I, I, all, I, to the all I want for Christmas is you. At the Rockefeller Center tree lighting. You, that must have been, you must have been bedridden for a week. I, well, I was, I was not so upset about the performance because there was so much chatter about it. I didn't watch it live. And then when I watched it back, I was like... It wasn't so bad, guys. And then someone leaked that that audio of the mic feed. Yeah. And the thing was, you know, she had been on the phone with her divorce lawyers, like, all night. And right. it was out in the freezing cold. So, I mean, if you've seen Mariah live, which I have, she is so incredible. Um, and even more incredible live because she goes for things. But when it's not televised or filmed because I think she feels at ease. I'm right. such a dork. You hear this? I mean, I really... No, like, I love it, though. But, um, I mean, Brian needs people like you. Yeah, and when she's on TV, I feel that she gets a little nervous. Yeah. Because she's... Her voice has, you know, gone through changes over the years. And so she's expected to rise to this level of perfection because she's known for being the voice. Okay. Anyway, so I'm... So let's go back and pretend like, that I'm going to the glitter party because yes. I... Can't believe I didn't know you yet, and I can't. I oh, would, you would have turned I would have it popped out. Popped a plane. Yeah. Okay. So I walk in. What happens? to Okay. Me? So I made a step and repeat out of glitter uh, with my friend Pam. So we took two silver pieces of poster board, like you know, shellac them, put glitter on it, right. and so everyone took pictures in front of the glitter wall. Okay. Then there were TVs playing glitter, the Mariah okay. Carey movie, and some Kenneth Anger short films, just because his stuff is really visually, you know, gorgeous right. and intriguing. Um, and I love then, that juxtaposition. Yeah. And then I had uh, two DJs. So in the beginning of the night, it was all 80s music. Right. You know, 80s R&B and dance kind of like glitter. And then for the second part of the night, it was just kind of contemporary music. I love um, it. Oh, and it was um, all the bartenders were shirtless. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> did, did Silk show up and do a number? Sadly, no. No. <laughs> Maybe at the next Pat one. Malach, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I have a book called Screening Party, a novel, and mm. uh, the last chapter is all about glitter. I'm going to have to get no you a copy. Way. Oh, my yeah. God. You have yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, no. no, I went and saw Glitter. It, the book is about a group of friends who watch movies together and how the movies affect their lives and the themes that. of the movies run through their lives. So it's like a novel with all these movie screening parties in it. And for the last chapter, we go to Glitter mm-hmm. at the Beverly Center, which really we really did. And it was like a week after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Nobody had been out of the house. Everyone was freaked out, even here in L.A. Mm-hmm. It was like walking through a ghost mall. Uh-huh. And we go to watch Glitter and the the... Bonding that we all felt, oh. the silliness of the movie, the oh. music, and then it's a tiny screening room. Like yeah. the Beverly Center is like, you know, 14 seats. Uh-huh. And fucking Tyra Banks was there. <gasps> with her no! Mother. Yes. And um, didn't Mariah have weird makeup? Yeah, she had like this um, silver streak that moves around yes. her body throughout right. the movie. <laughs> so my roommate Tony, who's one of the characters in the book, characters in quotes, finally had enough and he goes Tyra what is going on with that silver streak <laughs> and Tyra stood up and said oh something I can't God. even remember but it was just like a night you won't it's forget it's a magical moment it's a magical moment and it was like it, it was like the climax of the book and yeah so I, I also remember um, you know the first Saturday Night Live after September 11th right in Weekend Update the first joke they made was about glitter oh. they had said you know they're you know the United States um, you know CIA and militaries they're looking for Osama Bin Laden they're looking in places that are deserted so they're starting with you know movie theaters showing glitter wow or something. but you know what whenever I see somebody that was in it 
I have a, hot, a soft spot for them. I got to meet Valerie Pettiford not uh-huh. long ago, who was the mother. And whenever Dice pops up yeah. somewhere or Padma Lakshmi, I'm like, oh, they were in Glitter. Yeah. Like, I have a soft spot for that movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. so you're talking about formal wear. I was thinking mm-hmm. as I was watching it, it does make everything more memorable and more mm-hmm. visual. If they were just Thank in, you. you know, clothes from the Gap, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't remember it as well. Mm-hmm. Or they would just feel like... They would just feel like kids. I don't know. There was something visually wonderful about seeing Thank everybody you. dressed up. You know, um, again, I, I just, I like really fancy, beautiful things. And yeah. I love movies that take you into that kind of world. And what happens a lot in um, indie filmmaking and low budget filmmaking is that you end up with a lot of like nondescript, you know, Brooklyn, New York apartments and everyone's right. in like the clothing of the day. And I just... I wanted the movie to feel timeless in so many ways, and I thought formal wear was a way to do that. Um, and you know, I and just the music kind of, you use is and also the music are the same. Gilbert like, and Sullivan, like it could have element. happened. This could have been in the seventies, could have been sixties, could have been the forties, it could have been any time. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. I wanted it to kind of feel like this insulated world that could be any time from sixties till um, today, which is why they don't really use cell phones that much in the movie. There's no right. computers. That was a very, um, active decision on my part to do I that. I didn't notice that, but now that I really appreciate that, mm-hmm. there's an article out about friends and why I read in New York magazine. Did you happen to read this? The sitcom friends. Oh, I did. I read that whole article and how millennials love it mm-hmm. are discovering it on Netflix. Like they've never seen it before. Yeah. And it's become a period piece of the nineties, which is yeah. so fascinating. I mean, you look at the fashion back then. And it's yeah. kind of amazing. And I feel like, you know, nostalgia typically works in 20-year cycles. Right. So I feel like right now the mid-90s are back in a big way. So you look at some of these outfits, especially the ones that um, that Jennifer Aniston wore as Rachel. Right. And they really hold up. Yeah. And it's not so far away that it feels otherworldly. But they love the idea that technology wasn't governing these yeah. friendships. And I that really, nobody's taking a selfie, uh-huh. nobody's on their phone, they're all mm-hmm. hanging out together. Yeah, and I romanticize that a lot too. In fact, uh, one of the things we shot that was cut from the movie is that first scene where you meet all the friends and they're playing this mock trial game. Yeah. There was a basket of all their cell phones on the side. Right. So the you know the implication is that they try and that steal they, their they, technology. They, that was like one of the rules. Like right. Everyone puts their phone on. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. It's almost better without it, I think. Yeah, I think you... It, subliminally, it gets to you. You yeah. realize, like, oh, I'm, it, it kind of feels more timeless. Yeah. Um, but Tell yeah. us a little bit. For, I've seen it twice. I mm. love this movie so much. I saw it on the festival circuit, and then I, I just watched it again on... Uh, you sent me the link. Tell uh, a little s- synopsis of, mm. of what happens in it. So Those People is about a young gay artist from the Upper East Side of Manhattan named Charlie, and he's torn between these two guys. One is this promising new romance with you know, a very charming piano player from Lebanon. And the other is this lifelong infatuation he has with his gay best friend, Sebastian. And Sebastian is currently the most hated man in New York because he's the son of a Bernie Madoff type financier. Right. Um, And so it's this gay love triangle set against the backdrop of this financial scandal. um, And their group of friends kind of rallying around Charlie and Sebastian all coming of age um, you know, and they all kind of have their own coming-of-age arcs. That and, they're dealing with in the movie. Right. And I, I kind of describe it as, like, perks of being a wallflower with a little bit of St. Elmo's Fire. But like right. Oh, my God. Th- two of my favorite gayer. movies, oh, first of all. Me, too. St. Elmo's Fire is another chapter in the book. And I have a perks <laughs> of being a wallflower poster in my bathroom. Uh-huh. And his name's Charlie, which yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, well, it was funny enough that it wasn't in- influenced by Perks of Being a Wallflower. I mean, maybe um, subconsciously, because I-, I read the book in college and right. really loved it. 
Um, but no, I they're named Charles and Sebastian after the the book Brides Have Revisited. Okay, it was kind of a, an homage to to that book. I love it. So the title, those people. Mm-hmm. What is? Because to me, to my mind, it's like oh, those people. It's like a way of looking uh, uh, people that. Right, they're like, bad. Exactly, or dismissing. It's, you know, I think people use the term "those people" to distance themselves from the other. Right. So for me, it's something you say about a group you don't understand. Oh, look at those people. Um, so you know, whether it's uh, you know Jewish people versus non-Jews or rich versus poor or whatever, and the title was, is very tongue-in-cheek. It's like, oh, this is what you think those people are, but you know kind of go into their world and see that people are people and everyone's dealing with right. problems regardless of, of who they are. Right. Um, and uh, I'll tell you something. As the truth is, in the movie, in the, in the first, one of the first versions of the script, um, they used to call, call themselves those people. Like, they cheers and said those people. Right. So that's where the title initially came from. And then, uh, you know, we never found a better title. Right. Um, I, mean, I like it. Thank you. We all, I mean, we almost changed it so many times. I... I'm not crazy about the title, in all yeah. honesty. Um, I mean, I love it because I think it's catchy and it's uh, a little memorable. But I think that when you hear the title, Those People, you're expecting a little bit of a snarky movie. Maybe one that's, um, you know, making More fun of them satire. satirizing them. Yeah. And that's not something I wanted to do because I love my characters, right. you know, with all their flaws. They're all flawed human beings going through a you shot, quote-unquote You journey. shot on the Empathy Cam 360. Like, there's some <laughs> filmmakers... Like, if I... Then every time I work on a project or I get to, I'm like, I want to shoot on the Empathy Cam 360. Because uh-huh. there's some filmmakers where you just care about people from the second they mm-hmm. appear. You just care. Yeah. Perks was like that. Um, Cameron Crowe movies are like uh-huh. that. Like, We Bought a Zoo. I like, it. it was yeah. fun. It was yeah. good. But I remember one, from the first second, I'm like, oh, they shot this on the Empathy Cam 360. Uh-huh. It's a way of sort of... Nobody's a villain. Nobody's a right. No one's only good or only bad. Right. Everyone has shades in between. Yeah. Um. That was that was really important to me, and I think that's just naturally how I view people. Right. And kind of, I knew what the feeling of the movie was supposed to be like. I I went in, you know, in the writing process, in the casting process, in the directing process. I knew, kind of, maybe without being able to um, put it into words, what I was looking for. Right. That feeling, and I I I think that I. Um, succeeded in getting that feeling across. Um, you know, in the casting process with my amazing casting director, Susan Shopmaker, it's just this ineffable quality that the actors have to, had to have. It was almost like their heart was coming out of their eyes or something. Right. Um, and it was interesting finding that with the character of Sebastian, especially because Sebastian, the son of the Bernie Madoff type guy, he is purposely this florid asshole. You yeah, know, he, perfect hair, perfect yeah. bone structure, like he's that guy. Yeah, but I wanted you to still fall in love with him a little bit because of his charm. Like, he's very witty, Yeah. Um, and casting that part was so important because we it came down actually to two guys, and both were very, very talented, but the other guy was more icy. Like, you really didn't feel for him. You uh, were more intimidated by him. But I right. wanted Sebastian to have this kind of huggable quality. And Jason Ralph, who plays him, I mean, he just, when he came in, my jaw just, like, dropped. He just had it all. Like, naturally had a way with the words and um, was very unpredictable, too. Yeah. I thought your, your casting was so perfect across the board. I think one of the characters says we all have a Sebastian. Yeah. And that's that person in our lives. And I, when I was watching it, there was somebody I thought of that I had a brief romance with and then tried to stay friends with. But I, I, I felt 
I was so in love with him, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And there, it's the classic come here, go away thing, yeah. where they kind of get off on your devotion. Totally. <laughs> and, and feed it, but they won't give you what you want, yeah. which is to be with them. Yeah. And so let's go there. Did so you have a Sebastian? I, that is the inspiration for this film, is that um, in college I had this friend um, whom I accidentally fall, you know, fell in love with. You stepped in it. I stepped in it. <laughs> just got all, you know, messy. It was, it was so bad. Um, <laughs> no, I relate was, to this. You know, he was this beautiful, charming guy. Um, and we started going on these like friendship dates, getting to know you kind of thing. And I just fell head over heels in love with him. And I was afraid for years, uh, of telling him of how I felt because I was afraid of rejection and afraid of messing up the friendship. Right. Um, he was definitely gay, though. He was definitely gay. Yeah. And he was just an expert at reeling me in and then pushing me away. Um, and there were so many times I thought we were so close to, to hooking up. Yeah, he's finally going to give in and get over his fear, get over whatever he's afraid of. Yeah. And I didn't understand why. After a while, I was like, I didn't understand why I still had feelings for this guy. It was so clear that it was never going to happen to other people, maybe not to me. Right. I think I held on to hope. Um, and so I remember in my second year of film school, um, he moved back to India where he's from. And oh boy, I, I beautiful. I, yeah. I'll, I'll show you a picture later. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and I just couldn't shake it. I remember I was living in L.A. that summer, trying, to, trying out the L.A. thing with a couple of my film school friends. Right. And having panic attacks every single day. Oh wait, no, that was, the, that was the next summer. So it was beginning of film school, um, sec- beginning of second year of film school. And my friend Edward was like, you know, you should make a movie about this. And I was like, no, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to. Um, but he's like, you should. So, so I wrote this short film called Thinly Veil, which I saw. And I think that's how we met on the festival. Circuit yeah. Originally in out at Outfest, Outfest like yeah. five years ago, yeah, yeah, five yeah. or six yeah. years ago. I think ago. we had films in the same program or something. So I wrote that when I was really going through it. And it was about these two gay best friends spending a weekend together in this dance studio before one of them moves back to Argentina. Right. I, you know, substituted Argentina yeah. for India. Yeah. So I made this film and then talk about thinly veiled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the whole thing was like their friendship was a dance that was thinly veiled. Right. Yada, yada, yada. It was beautiful. Um, I remember it. Thanks. And uh, so I went to India that summer. I still hadn't told him about my feelings. Went to India, brought the film. On the last night of our two-week trip together around India, I was like, so I have something to tell you. I am kind of in love with you, and I made this film about you. And so we sat down and watched the short film together. Oh, my God. Which was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. And this was very much based in, like, the conversations in the film oh, were sure. ripped from our actual conversations. Right. Um, and I remember when I first told him, he's like, are you shitting me? And I was like, I was like, no, no, no. So, so yeah, we watched it and actually ended up having an incredible night of conversation together. We watched it twice. He was very flattered, of course, and he's so narcissistic um, and wonderful. Um, <laughs> but, you know. I know, no, I know. Like, Everybody has this. Yeah. It's a very specific, yeah. But, you know, for the first time in our entire friendship, we just kind of laid everything out on the table, or I did, and I was, went through every instance in our friendship um, where I thought, again, we were close to hooking up. Like, what were you feeling at this point? What happened there? Yeah, didn't that feel like a date to you? Yeah, and, and I was like, did you ever think we were going to hook up? And he's like, oh, you know, in the beginning, I kind of thought maybe it would happen, but blah, 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 blah. But some of those times where I thought we were close, he just played dumb. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
but um, oh, yeah, I don't remember that. But so, Ugh. but I remember that night going to sleep and feeling like this huge weight had been lifted yes. off me. But then I didn't speak to him for nine months after that because it, it almost feels like a breakup, and I needed to like cut him out of my life to move forward. So fast forward to the end of film school, about five years ago when I was out of classes, and I was still not really over him. I don't know why. I just like hadn't had a really substantial long-term relationship since before I met him. Right. And in making the feature, I was like, I need to use this therapy. I'm going to find out why, you know, I can't find love and, or, you know, open myself up completely in a relationship. So I started writing this script and, you know, I wanted it to be about this guy, Charlie, who is having this, you know, classic New York grand sweeping romance with this older guy who's like seemingly, you know, not perfect because he, I, he has flaws and I wanted him to have flaws, but you know, you, you feel like this is his ticket out of this caustic dynamic. Right. And he can't be present for it. Yeah. And so I, writing the script was, was just a lot like playing therapist to myself. It was like, why am I holding on to these feelings for this person who will never love me? And there's a breakup scene in the middle of the movie, spoiler alert, between Charlie and Tim um, in this empty concert hall. And that, that's writing that scene was really helped me figure out a lot of things. And, you know, I'm sitting in the coffee shop writing this, like literally saying the dialogue out loud. Cause you know, a lot of times, um, when I'm writing dialogue, I, I just say it out loud to see, you know, how it, yeah. uh, how it sounds anyway. So it was in the making of the movie that I really finally got over him. Was uh, there a moment where you thought, I think I'm over him? Um, I think that somewhere in the middle of writing the script, I kind of understood it. And then, um, but it wasn't until I started filming it that I realized it. And I saw him right after I filmed the movie. And it was like this veil had been lifted. All of a sudden, I saw him as this person instead of this guy up on a pedestal. And I met my current boyfriend after I'd shot the movie, before I'd started editing it. And... That's how I know I'm completely over this guy is I just fell head over heels in love with my boyfriend and felt like I was finally ready. And I did open myself up and learned so much from that experience. You know, like I learned to never hold those feelings in again. I was like, I'm never going through this again. You just have to be open and communicative about everything. Right. Because you kept it inside for years. Like five years. Yeah. That you were in love with somebody. Has he seen the movie? You're Sebastian? He has not seen the movie yet. Does he know it exists? Does he, he know? does. He actually... <laughs> So, in fundraising for the movie... So, he, does he like it on Facebook and shit like that? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> um, but, no, in, in fundraising for the film, he was one of the people I went to. Um, yeah. he, he is from a wealthy family in India, and um, I thought it would be great to have him be an investor in the film. Yeah. And he said no. <laughs> he said no. Right. Um, which is okay. Probably for the best. <laughs> but, no, he hasn't seen it. He still lives in India. Um you know, I don't want to send him a link. I want him to kind of experience it in a movie theater. Yeah, no, so of course. He'll see it one day. But yeah, he's aware of it. He hasn't seen it. The thing is, I look... Like, Charlie is very much me but five years ago. Right. And um, even though my situation with that guy is 100% the inspiration for this film, it becomes a different character once you write it and cast it and edit it. And so I look at Charlie and I... I see myself in him a lot, even especially because Jonathan Gordon, the wonderful actor who he's plays so him. so adorable. Oh, my God. Don't you just want to hug him, like, yeah, all the time? Yeah, so sweet. Um, 
he had similar mannerisms to me in the movie. And I remember asking him during filming, like, are, are you imitating me? Or is it just Nat? Or did I cast you? Because maybe, you know, subconsciously you reminded right. me of me. Um, but, you know, I look at that character and I, I don't feel like I'm in that place anymore. That's it so fe- good. Yeah, it feels like a, a snapshot of my emotional state back then. But interestingly enough, you know, a lot of my friends look at that character and they're like, that's, that's not you. That's like one part of you. Right. Um, you know, in some ways, all the characters are a bit me. Like even Sebastian has, has a lot of me in it yeah. as well. So what did you realize about why this guy? Why he kept a hold on me? Yeah. Because it's, it's sort of talked about in the movie. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's ex- I think it's, um, well, one, he is beautiful and charming. And, um, you know, we just related to each other on so many levels. Like a lot of superficial things, like we had the same taste in music and, um, we, I think we had a similar outlook on being gay and what we liked in the gay community and what we didn't and who were the people that we got along with. Um, he was just one of these people who you could talk to for hours. I was thinking that right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, my person that was so, we could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And after like the second night we spent together, I remember laying there thinking, if this doesn't work, mm-hmm. I am so fuck <laughs> you know it was just a done deal it was like yeah. my thing was and i don't know if you'll relate to this i thought that god was in on it it felt so destined and big mm-hmm. and meant to be and easy and whatever mm-hmm. that i thought it felt bigger than me you're like this is um, this is happening for a reason yeah yeah it's a way that i can i have to i can i'm yeah. powerless I think also though once but you I'm, get... I'm not past that now yeah but that's what it was like at the time mm-hmm. it was it was Mm-hmm. I was a goner. Yeah. And I knew I was a goner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I think you know the situation you're in. And in a weird way, the situation becomes comfortable. You get used to this dynamic. I think there's a comfort in being in this relationship that you know can't happen. And like so many people, I'm a, you know an insecure per- person in a lot of ways. And if you, I think at that time in my life, I didn't think I was like worthy of a relationship where I was just very scared of intimacy. And so by sticking around in this friendship, it put me in a position where I couldn't open myself up to other people. Right. Tim says something about you want to be loved or you don't want to be loved. or You don't think you deserve love. You don't think you deserve love. Yeah. Which is like, a little reminiscent of the purpose of being a wallflower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You accept I, the love you think you deserve. You know what else I thought a lot while writing it was RuPaul. And he's, you know, his big thing is like if you can't love yourself how in the hell are you going to love somebody else exactly and i think it's also like this if you don't know yourself how are you going to love somebody else so i just felt you know charlie's journey throughout the film is to understand who he is as his own person separate from uh, other people and i think um his arc is putting others before himself to putting himself first right yeah. And Sebastian's God, the opposite. These scenes, I relate to so many of them. And then you talk about, there's a line where somebody goes, oh, gays and their fathers. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's father stuff in the movie, too, both for your character, or, mm-hmm. or for Charlie's character, mm-hmm. and for Sebastian. You know, when I started writing it, I didn't know that was a theme at all. Right. I just was writing it. I knew that Charlie um, should have a bad relationship with his father, and... Sebastian was obviously going through his own set of daddy issues because his his father, this guy whom he idolized, uh, suddenly comes crashing down and he realizes his father is not the person he thought he once was. Right. Um, And then I wrote the story that Tim tells in the movie about uh, his own alcoholic father and um, 
even looking back at my short, thinly veiled, I, I lifted that line directly from my short, gay men and their dads. Yeah. Um, and I love that you don't have to, you don't have to, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a paragraph. It can just right. be that simple of a line. I think people who get it just get it. I, yeah, and it's know. different for everybody, but yeah. it is something. It's and, certainly something for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky in that I have a wonderful father whom I have a great relationship with now. Um, but it, it wasn't always the easiest, you know. I think before I came out of the closet, uh, we had a hard time relating to each other, like during the teenage years. And um, even through, you know, a lot of part of my 20s. Yeah. Uh, How just old were you when you came out? I came out when I was 18, okay. freshman year of college. Good. Um, and my family handled it great, and my father was so accepting yeah. and wonderful. But anyway, he's so supportive, and we're in such a great place in our relationship, again, because of communication. But you know what? It, it took uh, my father a couple of years to be communicative with me as well. And right. I, I what does he think, think of the movie? Oh, my God. His reaction to seeing the movie is by far the best reaction I've had. The, the most important reaction to me. So when I made short films, my dad never really kind of got them. And I think, you know, our taste in movies are drastically different. Like, I like, you know, some artsy independent stuff. And um, he loves movies where people get killed. Like, the more people that get killed, the better. Right. And he likes westerns. Like, his, his favorite movie, you know, is like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Right. Um, and, and one day I want to make a Western for him, but, um, my short films were a little esoteric for his taste. And right. so every time he would watch them, he just, he just didn't get it. And he was, I knew he was proud, right. but, um, so he, I wouldn't show him a single thing until the movie was absolutely complete. And when he finished watching the movie, he was bawling. I mean, just crying and cried for like 15 minutes straight. Where, um, where did you watch? At a big screening with people? We watched it at um, my post house on a okay. big screen right. uh, with a couple of people, like a, an audience of like 10 people, just, right. um, a bunch of the investors and um, some close friends and family. And yeah, he had to walk out of the room. He couldn't handle it. And, you know, he was like, you know, I knew it was going to be amazing, which means I didn't really think it was going to be that great. <laughs> but he's like, you know, I knew it was going to be amazing, but it, he's like, it's incredible um, and he's like, you know, when I, it was kind of everything I hoped you hope your kids are going to do. And then when you see it on a big screen, it's so overwhelming. Um, so that was, that was just a, re a really magical moment. And for me, you know, top three highlights of this whole experience. experience. What about your mom? There's a great mom relationship in the movie. Oh, yeah. That, and Charlie's mom is, that is my mom. Yeah. Like, you know, that a lot of the stuff she says are, is just ripped right out of my mom's playbook. Right. Um, we're, we're so close. We speak all the time. She's very loving, but also gives you that, like, Jewish tough mother Yeah, love. she's kind of tough. Yeah. It kind of yeah. gets it. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about the look of the movie. It's very mm -hmm. sumptuous, and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a low-budget movie. Mm -hmm. There's shots in beautiful auditoriums. Mm -hmm. How did you get that auditorium? Uh -huh. You know, the big, like... Pretty Woman Opera moment, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh -huh. Like, uh, and um, then the stage, and you have it to yourself, mm -hmm. and it's this gorgeous. Like, let's talk about the auditorium. So, uh, well, the visuals of the movie, you know, were so important to me, and I wanted it to look really expensive. And um, you can't that, make that a move, movie about a Madoff character type right. family 
And it comes down have to duct tape showing or uh-huh. something, you know. You know, my cinematographer Leonardo D'Antoni, who went to NYU Film School with what me. What a name for a yeah. cinematographer! You're hired. I, mean, <laughs> like, I don't even have to look at the resume. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, and we had worked together uh, in in grad school on a short film of mine, and just I just love working with him. He's so easy to work with, and he has an incredible eye. And the thing is, he knows how to light better than anyone because he was a union gaffer before he went to film school. And um, I knew that I wanted to use vintage lenses because um, I don't really like new lenses so much, or not for this story and for making right. it seem classic. So I used these zoom lenses from the 70s, and we you know, talked a lot in prep about what we wanted it to look like. We watched um, Cabaret, which was my favorite movie, and uh, in watching we realized we wanted to use zooms you know, within shots. And I wanted it to look different than other indie films because the indie look is so much the handheld... Um, I'm looking, I wanted it to feel grand. And so we found this look, you know, the dolly combined with, with the zoom. Um, but I, the movie looks expensive because Leo knows how to light. And, you know, we used to smoke a lot, um, in rooms, right. which just makes every, makes the air look uh, thick and you see like beams of light going through it. Yeah. Um, and we picked locations that were camera ready. Like this auditorium. Was how did one. you get that auditorium? So that auditorium, um, is the United Palace theater up in Harlem. And uh, my my line producer um, or my unit production manager found it. Um, and the reason I got a lot of these locations, because my budget was very low, it was well under a million dollars, um, was that this was my thesis film from NYU Tisch, grad school. Um, Do you have to make a feature film? As no, a- no one does. I right. mean... In the past, you made a short film for your thesis film. Right. And then what happened in my third year of film school was that Kickstarter came out, um, the Canon 5D came out, which was this very... Yeah, um, I used it on one of my shorts. You know, it's a great prosumer camera, and people started shooting commercials on it, and it looks really good. It allowed you to shoot 24p, so it looks more like film. Um, And then Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture came out. And I remember seeing it in theaters, and I was like you know what? I can do that. Like she was only, she's, she's two years younger than me, I think. Um, but I was like, I can do this. Like, I don't want to make another short. I was like, I am ready to play with the big boys. Right. Let me try and make a feature. And our class at MIU of 36 people is pretty crazy. And out of the 36 people, 12 of us have now made features. And the most amount of features they've had out of a class before is like two or three. Um, and I think we all just, uh, kind of banded together and encouraged each other. Um, and you, you use people on your film and then you help with their film. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in telling people, location, you know, location people that it was my thesis film, it got us a lot of locations for like no money. We, um, that's, uh, we have a dog outside the door right now. It's Fine, totally fine. <laughs> the um, listeners love the, uh, the real life of yeah. it. Um, we got to talk about the High Line because mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the High Line. Me I too. love it. I've since found out it's ruined New York. Um, no. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have friends that are like, their diner, their so favorite diners are closing because it's really changing the neighborhoods. So. But I, when I'm on it, I love it. I donate. Mm-hmm. I'm a friend of the High Line. Yeah. I acted like I invented it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to shoot on it. Yeah, so. I um, wrote that Highline scene. That was one of the first scenes I wrote. I knew I wanted Charlie and Tim's first real date to take place on the Highline because when I started writing it, the Highline had just opened, and I was like, you know what? I want to make a great New York date scene in this place that no one has shot yet. 
Um, you know, There's no I, Woody Allen movie on the high line. Exactly. Like, I thought of Manhattan and that great shot, of course, of Woody Allen and Diane Keaton right. on the bench looking at the bridge. Um, and I wrote for locations I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get. You right. know, I wrote for Lincoln Center. I wrote for the High Line. And the thing with the High Line is you have to shoot when it's open. Um, they were so they were so generous. Uh, and we shot that uh, the second the first week of filming. We started filming in, no, in November. Right. Um, and it was so cold. It was supposed to be October in the movie, but it was so freezing and it was a blizzard. And so there weren't a lot of people on the High Line, luckily, and we shot it in the two hours before it closed, so it was still dark. Um, but those boys, uh, Charlie and Tim, are wearing loads of long underwear under their tuxedos, and we had to hold a flag over um, Haas's head, who plays Tim, for all of his takes because it was snowing above him. And actually, if you look at the glass in the background... Some of the takes you can kind of see that it was the snowing. blizzard. Yeah. So the Highline let you shoot there as long as it's open. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you can't. You can only. We could only have ten crew crew members there. Okay, but it's doable. Yeah. So that's we have. Was it pricey or no? No, no. no. It's like it reasonable. was like nothing. Yeah. Right. Say I, again, people were just so generous. I think um, we just were honest with what the story was about. Uh, we were honest that it was an NYU student film, and people were. They just were generous. They were lovely. To describe it, and same with my synagogue. You know, the, yes. there's a scene uh, in in temple during uh, Rosh Hashanah services, and that is my temple. And it's um, your rabbi, right? In Cantor, and it's my rabbi in Cantor. And um, were they divas on the set? Did they want their own trailer? <laughs> they were pretty cool. They were so great. You know, I I wanted to shoot there. I decided to go in and just talk to the rabbi directly, and I didn't I didn't know him well, um, so I email I cold emailed him, said I wanted to come in and talk to him about shooting there. Uh, and my dad was like, you know, I don't think you should tell him what the movie is about. Like, just keep that close to the chest because you never know what he's going to think. Right. It's a temple on the Upper East Side. There are a lot of conservative members. And I was like, you know what? It's better to be honest up front. I'd rather he know. I don't want him on the day to all of a sudden, right. you know, freak out about it. So I went in. I, you know, told him what the movie was about and that I wanted to shoot there. And he was like, you know, I have been such a big advocate of LGBT rights uh, in the Jewish community. I've married so many gay people. I would love you to shoot here. And I... That and makes I, me almost want to cry. Yeah. I was blown away. And then I was like, will you like be you in it? you give people a chance. Yeah. And I was like, will you be in it? And he's like, of course. And then he asked the cantor to be in it. The cantor said yes. Um, and... And we know Jennifer Lawrence as well, if you need her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed... Above, wait, above and beyond, on the day we were shooting, we shot uh, again in November... And High Holy Days are usually in September or October. Right. So we're about to shoot the scene, and he's like, oh, wait, wait, no, the flowers are wrong. We need the flowers that are up during Rosh Hashanah services. So he has, like, you know, his rabbinical assistant go and get the proper flowers. And he made sure everything was great. And, and it's a beautiful scene. It looks grand and big and gorgeous. Yeah, and you know that is 35 extras. Yeah. In that temple, and we just moved them every time we switched the shot. And you probably did the same thing in the auditorium. It, that is 35 extras in a yeah. theater that is meant for 3,500 people. Amazing. And that's just clever camera placement. Amazing. Let me look mm-hmm. at my notes. Um, but, you know, I just I wrote for places that I thought I may be able to get, get. But the funny thing about United Palace Theater is that that was written for Lincoln Center, Avery Fisher Hall. Right. And I was such a naive 
idiot and went to Lincoln Center. I had like a third cousin, you know, twice removed that uh, was on the board there. And I was like, you know, ideally this is what I would like. Like one and a half days in Avery Fisher Hall and then half a day on the plaza. And they right. were like, are you kidding me? This usually costs, you know, $100,000 to shoot here. They're like, I think they took pity on me. So they were like, we'll give you, you know, one shot on the plaza. You had the plaza. For like, you know, no, I mean, it was like 400 bucks or something. And like you did that. one, t- it was a one taker, wasn't it? It was the one long. No, but we, we actually, I think it's three shots. Right. But, but I knew I wanted to play it in one anyway. Yeah. That was, you know, it was a bit the, the circumstances. Like we couldn't have a big footprint. It was like four people that we, right. you know, that we could shoot with. Um, but again, I wanted that Woody Allen feel at that moment where Charlington just walk up the plaza away from the camera. Right. Talk about the journey of the movie on the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. You've won a number of awards. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's been the highlight of being in the festival world? So we premiered at Seattle International Film Festival last right. May, and we've since played over 60 festivals, I think. Um, and I would say the, the highlight for me, or at least one of them, was our Frameline screening. Yeah. Our Frameline and Outfest, for me, were just the best. Were so, you in the Castro with yeah, Frameline? So, so Frameline is in San Francisco. Gorgeous. And we played in the Castro Theater. 1,400 people sold out. And I remember I played Provincetown Film Festival the right. day before. So I got on a plane early in the morning, flew to San Francisco, had my screening that You're like night. like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> just jumping on a plane, doing yeah. it. And that was also the first screening that I had cast members at. So yeah. that was very special for me. And, you know, Seattle was great, and they treat their filmmakers so well, but it wasn't, like, the the big screening experience that you hope for. Right. Um, and it was, just a, it was just a different kind of experience. Right. And it, it's not a gay festival. Right. Um, so you're not going directly to your audience necessarily. Right. Uh, and I was competing against big movies that weekend. Um, like, me and all the dying girl was playing right. at the same time I played. But anyway, so Frameline, to have... To, to watch your movie with 1,400 people and hear them laugh at all the right moments and gasp at the right moments um, and have that kind of rapturous response. Yeah. The Q&A was great. The Frameline audience are amazing, but if they don't like it, they are not I having heard. it. I like, they they can be really, Yeah, they go for it. Yeah, people warned yeah. me. They were like, listen, Frameline audiences are among the most vocal you will ever hear. Right. And you know, they have the, um, the organ player before you start. That, that was just a, a truly magical experience. The whole yeah. staff at Frameline was great. And um, I, was, I was just so proud and happy for my cast. Um, so that was great. And then L.A. Uh, Outfest screening right. was amazing because that was in the DGA, which is a gorgeous theater. And your movie never looks and sounds better than in the DGA theater. Yeah. That also was sold out. And I have a ton of friends in L.A. So that was packed um, with, with a lot of my friends. And that felt almost like a homecoming yeah. of sorts. I also had cast there, and then uh, I won uh, the audience award for best first uh, U.S. feature. Fabulous. So it was just a very celebratory atmosphere. Well deserved. Um, Thank you. Has it opened a lot of doors for you in terms of filmmaking? Because I, I'm very curious about this because I tend to write about stuff about related to me. I don't write mm. horror movies. I don't mm. write superhero things. I, I write about what I deserve, and I'm gay, right. and so there's that's a part of my stories most of the time, not always. But I feel like. I feel like there's a bit of a barrier. Like, you could make a beautiful movie that has some gay themes, mm-hmm. and it won't open the same doors. It's so true. That, I mean, that it would if it were straight, but you wouldn't be able to make it as good if it mm-hmm. were. You know? Like, I've written things that are not, not gay. Right. But they don't 
resonate as well. Right. Maybe because it's not as true to you. Or so something. Like there's something missing. It's a in bit that. of a it's a bit of a conundrum. Right. And I and I thought this movie is a beautiful calling card as a filmmaker, Thank as you. a storyteller, as a writer, all of it. You know, it's interesting. and I wanted to open all kinds of doors for yeah. you. I mean, it's it's a gay story, but I purposely wrote it to be accessible to all audiences and put, and put a lot of thought into that. And for me, in making this film, you know, I haven't seen a lot of films where I found myself reflected on screen. Like, gay men my age, I think we're, we're not dealing with the same issues that maybe we were in the 80s and 90s, right. and certainly not on screen. And, um, you know, we're not struggling as much with our sexuality. We're not struggling with coming out. We're not in love with straight boys. Um, you know... My friends were just trying to do the same things that everyone else is doing. And sexuality is just one component of that. So I wanted to write a story about men who happen to be gay, but that wasn't the focus of the movie. Um, But it it is a a gay film in a lot of ways. And it plays mostly gay festivals. And, um, you know, people in the industry who have seen it have have really liked it. And that's been wonderful. And I've gotten... um, you know, a couple of great meetings out of it, and I'm very proud to send it around as a calling card. But I think there's still this resistance. It's it's a gay movie, and that's what I hear from you know my friends at the. So it's not, like, they've got a stack of twenty DVDs. Mm-hmm. The gay one isn't going to be the first one they pick. Yeah, like, and it's not it's not homophobia or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's who people are. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wouldn't change a thing. No, about, you I'm have so to happy do your thing because if you don't, making a film or doing anything really big and creative is so hard. Mm-hmm. That if you're not connected to it, a you might not see it through. You might not. It might not. Yeah, and I know as an audience member, like I want to see myself reflected on screen, my experiences reflected on screen, um, and so it's imp- you know representation is so important. Yeah, um, it's not. I I don't only want to make gay, gay films, but I I really think about like, do I want to have gay characters in all my movies? Because I know as a boy growing up, like I, it was so important to me in forming my inde- identity, like, and my confidence. Right. I'm writing something now, and I could switch a gender and make it straight without mm-hmm. a whole lot of mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. But it feels less. It feels less less authentic or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just something that. Mm-hmm. It's something that. Um, I, there's still there's still a resistance in there the is industry. A resistance. Uh, How do you find? Other gay artists regard that. Like, I know people that are that are gay that work in Hollywood that mm-hmm. kind of sort of look down mm-hmm. a little bit on that world. Like, mm, have fun. We're going to go to the big sandbox. Yeah. There's something patronizing at times. I felt that. You know, I think I think you'll find a variety of responses across the gay community and right. the industry of, of how they feel about it. I mean, there are some filmmakers who make, you know, gay films that only play the gay festivals for their entire career and that's great that's um not what i want to do i I do um i don't want to call it the big sandbox i just want to tell a variety of stories and you know my my dream in life is to direct movie musicals really Um, i love it yeah like steven sondheim's company would would be my dream project um or you know the movie adaptation of spring awakening yeah even though i love that yeah even though mcgee has been i think had those rights for, for years yeah I am. I'm going to New York this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will probably have already. Uh, I'll already have been there and gone. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to see um, American Psycho because I love Duncan Shee. I think I'm seeing it. Uh, I think I'm seeing it Monday too. Although, I, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything bad. But I, I don't know if you saw the clip of them and Colbert. I didn't. I, I'm a little skeptical. It looked 
Like, mm-hmm. not the direction I would have chosen right. for the musical adaptation. But I, D- Duncan Sheik is, you know, I a love genius, the music. So. I listen to the music already. So yeah. I'm, in. I'm um, in. But, but you know, it's amazing being on the festival circuit and seeing so many incredible, incredible movies. And you're like, why aren't these crossing over? It doesn't make sense to me. These are beautiful movies, beautiful stories. Um, and I just think the industry and needs I feel to like look they a used, little closer. And I feel like they used to, to do a little better. Like, mm-hmm. a movie... That really popped on the Gay Film Festival circuit. Weekend? Yeah, like Weekend would do all right. Or even back further, go mm-hmm. back to movies like Trick and Edge of Seventeen uh-huh. and Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss. Right. And those movies had the- theatrical lives. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know what's changed in the mm-hmm. business. I know there's a lot more. Well, you know what it is. I think again that mid-budget Hollywood movie has gone away. It's yeah. just the tentpole movies, um, franchises, and sequels and comic books. And then everything else is pretty much in the indie realm, right? The specialty studios are making movies to win Oscars. And I think you, you, see, you see more gay characters, but maybe not as many gay stories. Right. I mean, you had Carol this year, and you had The Danish Girl. Um, but there are so many other... And Tangerine, you know, but there are so many great stories out there. Yeah. I mean, I have just been wildly impressed with the content that's out there. Yeah. At the same time, there's still so much crap. Right. And, but you're also <laughs> wondering if the people... That made the, a really great movie mm-hmm. make their money back at all, or if no. what's the business okay. model is like? How did yeah. you raise money for your movie? I spent seven to eight months fundraising with my producer, uh, my producers Kimberly Parker and Sarah Bremner, and we just kind of hit the ground running. Did in you do New a York Kickstarter? Or we didn't do Kickstarter. We were going to do a Kickstarter um, for like leading up to festivals to right. kind of help pay for PR and stuff like that, right. and also build you know an audience. Uh, but we didn't end up having to do that. We uh, we just went to wealthy individuals. You know, yeah. we have like 10 or 11 investors. You know, they're so wonderful. They've been so supportive. Um, I'm so grateful for, you know, for them. I was able to... I was able what to make was it like that I wanted to What make. was it like when you'd go and move them? Would it was you the worst. I never want to do it again. <laughs> would you, what would you, you know, do? What's people, your spiel? Is it okay, so 10 I, minutes? Is it you show a short film? It you depends. Show the so the first thing we did is we had an investor party right. where we invited, you know, wealthy people in New York and some friends who were connected, you know, that may be able to kind of pass the info along. And I did a, a, a live reading of the Highline scene from the script with two actors, one nice. of whom actually Murray Bartlett from Looking. Oh, good. Yeah, He's I, yummy. Yeah, I met him at a film festival many years ago. He was there with the movie August. Loved August. And I was there with was my, my second short film, Now Here. Yeah. And we met and became friends. So so he and, and another actor whom I'd met uh, at NYU, they did a reading of the, high, um, of the Highline scene. And then I showed um, kind of a sizzle reel of my previous work. And then my producers and I made a presentation. We gave out, you know, business prospectuses and then prospecti, right. <laughs> whatever the plural is. Um, and then we followed up for months. And, you know, I... It was so hard. Uh, my, I had a friend that just finished a Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, month and they made it. Yeah. And I just feel like he needs a spa week. Like, it's just... It's so much work. I, my and it's them. emotional. And, yeah. it's, and all, am I worthy? All that shit comes oh, up, yeah. I'm sure. I had so many panic attacks during that yeah. whole experience. My, my Kim, who produced it, my, uh, is one of my best friends. And she and my other best friend, Pam, uh, the three of us uh, call each other uh, panic attacks on the floor, LLC. That's a name. Your yeah, name, like your it's punk not, it's band not a name. real. It's not a real LLC, but yeah. we joke that that's, that's that's our collective. Exactly. Yeah. I have one called uh, my my friend and I have one called Life Rap Productions, mm-hmm. where it was like you you kind of do a project because you're just trying to. Mm-hmm. It's that or curl up and die. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
Life Lab Productions yeah. presents <laughs> uh-huh. uh, in association with Panic on the Floor LLC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, but you got to do it. Yeah, but you know what? Um, going back to the gay filmmaker thing, like there are so many of my career idols are LGBT filmmakers who are making LGBT films. Like I'm just enamored with uh, Xavier Dolan's work. And he's the Canadian know, that yeah. did mommy and yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Like, he, you know, he's a great visual director. Um, I and love, I love how bold so he prolific. is. Yeah. Um, he's in Cannes again. They just announced his new film. Um, and, uh, you know, Gus Van Sant and Todd Haynes, right. um, Andrew Hyde, who did weekend yeah. and, and looking like he, there are so many wonderful filmmakers out there and, um, yeah, you just got to look for them. Yeah. Now, I never went to film school. I went to Arizona State. I mm-hmm. studied broadcasting. I was such a small-town kid. I didn't really... I didn't know what a master's was. I didn't... Mm-hmm. I was, you know, whatever. But when you talk about film school, you make me more wish that I had or want to go more than anyone yeah. that I've probably spoken with. And not just because of the education, but the tribe. The community. Right? It feels like it's I your tribe, isn't I it? I can't say enough good things about film school, but specifically NYU Tisch grad film where I went. Um, and specifically our class, we had a very special class again of like 36 people, incredibly diverse array of people from different countries and uh, different backgrounds. Everyone had a story to tell. Um, it's, you know, they give you an amazing education. The great thing about NYU film school is that you learn all the different aspects of filmmaking. Um, like you don't just learn directing. We took Directing, cinematography, sound, um, acting. We took acting for three semesters. And, I mean, I was a cinematographer in film school. I was an editor in film school. I, um, I've done still, still photographs on, on a bunch of features. Um, How long so is the program, it, the grant program? Three years of three classes, years. and then you make a thesis film. Right. And it made me a much better filmmaker because you understand the entire process. Like I can talk to my sound guy about which mics I like and talk to my cinematographer from an informed place about lenses and lighting and, and what I like. But yeah, the people, but it's the and, people, isn't it? People. And uh, there are some classes at NYU who fight and are very competitive and don't get along. Ours from the beginning, we just banded together and had this wonderful, encouraging atmosphere. We crewed on all each other's movies. Um, so if one of them calls you now and says, I'm making this movie and I need your help. They're in a heartbeat. Yeah, they're in really? a I, um, I still, you know, hang out and talk to most of my classmates. And again, you know, 12 of us doing features and we've gone through it together. I have um, my friend Perry Blackshear made an amazing movie called They Look Like People. That's a, a, a little um, horror movie that, you know, has won a ton of awards, premiered Slam Dance. And uh, as I said, Pamela Romanowski, my, my uh, best friend, just made a wonderful movie called The Adderall Diaries. Um, James Franco. Yeah, James Franco's in it. He's. He Did you make out with him at the rap party? <laughs> no. Damn it. No, no. Sadly, Didn't work no. out. No. Um, but you know, we have all these friends going. My friend Chloe Zhao made an amazing movie called Songs My Brother Taught Me. That was at Sundance. Just there, there's so many, and we all went through it at a very at the same time. So, you know, it's making a feature is very hard, and you go through a lot of emotional ups and downs, and so. You know, we were on this staggered schedule where they could warn us about what, what you're going to feel like at this time or, you know, what it's like getting distribution and what these conversations are like. And here's what you should look out for. Like, you need to start um, getting on a good sleep schedule before you shoot your movie because you're going to be up at these crazy hours and you need to adjust your Just time really clock. practical, yeah. you know, nuts and bolts tips. Yeah. What was the low point making the movie? What was the, what was like, a oh, fuck <laughs> moment? Um... During the making of the movie, 
I have or, to, or trying to find you know, it. D- during the writing of the movie, there were some there were some real low points where some days you feel like you've written the best thing in the world, and other days you're like, "This is utter shit." Like, what am I writing? And you just get lost and you lose perspective. Um, and but in on set directing the movie was the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Every day, I was so excited to go to set and work with my actors, and I felt so lucky. Look around at these. 60 people who are helping me make this thing in my head come to fruition. I mean, that's, that's incredible and weird. And I felt very privileged to do that. Um, the low point was probably once the movie was finished and applying to festivals, right? you know, and getting, um, there's just so much rejection that happens. Even with and, a movie so beautiful as yours. Yeah, I guess you know, that's part of the deal. Yeah, you know, you like, never know, festivals I'm, or whatever. I'm so I'm so lucky the festival trajectory yeah. I've had and playing so many, but you know, I wanted Sundance like everyone else in Berlin and so um, you know, November of uh, like a year and a half ago, November through May until we premiered at Seattle was just awful. You know, the rejections come in. It's like, well, especially the- if the first couple of rejections, I've had that, yeah. where you think you have something that some people are like, yeah. uh, the last short that I worked on, Frameline didn't want it. And that was the first one we submitted to. And all of my previous ones had played there. And it was like, yeah. oh shit, what if a movie doesn't work? Yeah. Maybe the movie doesn't work. But then so, we got accepted others and it worked out. But Yeah, you just, it's hard every time. Yeah. And so Sundance Berlin, South by, you know, they all come in a row and you're just like, oh, every, <laughs> each one is like a dagger. And again, we were, Kim, my producer and I, who have gone through the whole thing, we were so proud of the film. Right. And um, so the good news is like the rejections didn't make us not like the movie. We still were proud of the movie and we knew it would find a home. And then we were so lucky um, that Seattle saw something special in it. Um, but also the, the night after I premiered, I had like a bit of a breakdown in the hotel room because I think it's, it's, you know, everything you've been working for for four years and then it's over and you're like, what now? Yeah. And it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Emotionally. And I've heard that from several other filmmakers. You just, you have a bit of postpartum depression after you finish this movie. Yeah. I, when you're talking about directing, I've only made shorts, but I feel the same way. It's like falling, it's the closest thing to falling in love that I've experienced. Oh, yeah. It's that same sort of... You're so right. Yeah, it's like falling in love. Yeah. All right, you pick some questions from the observation mm-hmm. deck. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Let's start with this one. Have you ever been starstruck? Yes. So I um, get to go to these National Board of Review screenings in New York. They're All right. Like Did you collective. vote? I'm a voting member now, yeah. I was wondering who votes for those. Well, so they invite NYU um, film students nice. to come. And then okay. they, to come watch the, the films. And then if, um, you know, you're... If you show up to a lot of these, uh, they invite you to be a member. And so I've, I've gotten to meet a lot of these actors and directors afterward. And I don't get starstruck easily. But when I met Tom Ford at this single man, you know, uh, Q&A, I just could barely form any words. Because I, he's one of my career idols. Um, you know, he has his amazing fashion career, of course. Just he's so good at branding himself, and I love a single man. I can't wait for his next one. He always looks um, like he just stepped out of a magazine. And he's beautiful. Yeah, he's just beautiful. Beautiful and so ageless, just, and you just can't. Yeah, so I was so starstruck when I met him. Oh, my God, when I, <laughs> I met Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm going to put met in quotations. He's kind Mark's, of my favorite actor right oh, now. Oh, he's so great. He's one of my dream collaborators. But I was standing in a circle with a couple of my friends, and they were talking to him and having a conversation, and he looked over at me. 
to like, you know, see if I was going to join the conversation. I just stared at him blankly, like felt like I was going to vomit. And then, oh, when I met Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. Who's another collaborator. Yeah, I met him at a... just want to rub his hair. I want to rub everything on that man. But I met him at at a gala and I I had to go up to him. Um, What did you say? It was after Les Mis. And I was just like, I, you know, I think you're a wonderful actor, so talented. We talked for a little bit, and then he walked away, and I laid down <laughs> on the ballroom floor in my tuxedo. I was so overwhelmed. That's like a scene that from your it. movie. Yeah. You're like, I just need to lay down now. Uh-huh. So wait, yeah. were people around when you laid down? Yeah. It was the end of the night. I was a little drunk. Right. I just couldn't handle it. And, and I also... <laughs> I also just queened out when I met Jennifer Hudson. At, oh, yeah. It was like The Secret Life of Bees, I yeah. think. And yeah. her first album had just come, come out. Yeah. She's just... She's what about that Idol her. finale? Did you watch that? Of course. I'm it a delivered. I'm an Idol fan. I was so emotional watching it. Just every singer sounded phenomenal. You know, watching that, that finale, I was like, look at the talent that has come out of this show. It is so deep. Like... It's, there's way more talent on that stage than when you watch most uh, music award shows. Yes. Um, it, singer after singer. And you kept yeah. waiting for one to sound not good. Yeah. And then the 10-year-old kid with Harry Connick reminded <laughs> you. No, she was great. But she reminded you that there wasn't no. like an auto-tune. Yeah. Some, but you know, when everybody the, when Jennifer Hudson, it. Yeah, Jennifer Hudson, Fantasia, and Latoya London came out and did that number, I was just throwing my hands up like I was in church. I was so happy. And then I was happy to see uh, Carly Smithson yes. in there. And you people you forget about. Oh, Jessica Sanchez. Jessica Sanchez killing it Pia with Tuscana the prayer. Pia Toscana is going to blow the fucking Pia roof Tuscana. off. I like standing oh, in my living room, yeah. you know. Fifth runner up, whatever the fuck. Yeah. I don't know. No, I am a huge Idol fan. Have been since the beginning. Um, Haley Reinhardt is one of my favorite singers yeah, in the she, world. I thought and she sadly, was, she wasn't on the finale. Yeah. But she was on earlier in the season. She did the duets with yeah. uh, some of the contestants. I, I thought they crushed her. it. Yeah. And it was so good. I wanted uh, La Portia more than Trent. I didn't, oh, I'm me not too. a Trent fan. But I am a huge La Portia fan. I've cried so many times watching her performances. Yeah. So it yeah. was, it crushed it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but what did you say to Tom Ford? Did you have a good interaction? I did. I, I held it together, but I was quietly dying inside. But I just said how beautiful the film was. And he was so, you know, it was interesting in the Q&A. He was so humble. He's like, this was my first movie. I knew what I didn't know, and I was so willing to learn. And the way he talked about his cinematography and his relationship with, you know, the costume designer and the production designer, I was just so impressed. Not just because really the movie was gorgeous, but he, again, he just was very humble. wasn't on his high horse about it. Yeah, I went to a Q and A with him, and I really wanted to ask him what he wears to set because you know directors mm-hmm. are famous for like the basketball yeah. baseball cap or whatever. And he must dress up. Oh, I, well, I didn't I get to ask him, cap. and I also felt like he would have been. I don't know. Maybe he would have gotten that mm-hmm. that's an interesting question. Yeah. But I met someone that collaborated with him recently, and I said, oh, what does he wear to set? And she said, oh, a very nice button-down and, like, jeans. Uh-huh. And she really liked him. I was I dressed yeah. up for set a couple of days. When yeah. we shot in the United Palace Theater, I wore uh, this little Dior Bolero that I've had for many years. I wanted, you know, <laughs> everyone was in, was in formal wear. And then um, when during the Halloween scene, yeah. um, I dressed up as Mark from Rent. Oh, um, and fun. directed as Mark from Rent. Uh, that is so fun. I was gonna, With the I was, scarf and yeah, the... Yeah, I was going to be in the background, um, but I, that day was so hectic that I didn't have time to kind of step in yeah. the shot. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're like, you have these ideas for like the little extra, oh, we're going to shoot a little gag yeah. reel. One of my Hitchcock moments. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it didn't happen. Um, who would you like to collaborate with professionally? Um, so, I mean, the list of actors is so huge, and I have my dream list of collaborators like... 
Julianne Moore, Ben Merrill Streep, like everyone, but um, Eddie Redmayne, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. In terms of, I had this idea to do a movie adaptation of Next to Normal with Mariah Carey as the lead. Oh my god! You know, because I think she could play that schizophrenic mother so well. She's a good actor. She is when great she's with in the, the right Lee director. Daniels Lee Daniels, stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, she is so talented, and again, as a as a lamb, I feel like I just know the depths of her ability and what right. what what's there. So. Yeah, that's one of my dream projects. Okay, as an Idol fan and a Mariah fan, mm-hmm. how did you deal with that Nikki season? That was and very hard. It was, it was very times. hard. You but know, she looked beautiful. Mariah looked so beautiful on that season, turning it out in her gowns. Um, you know, I think she was just afraid to sound stupid, so she would just babble on and on. Was she? She just couldn't form a sentence live right. that well, but. If, if you've ever seen footage of her being herself, she is just hysterical. I'm in love with J-Lo. I could look at her like the sun. Yeah. I just, she walks out and I'm like, I'm mesmerized. Yeah. Can't help her. <laughs> Who, what would you like to do in a job that you haven't gotten to do yet? Uh, so movie musicals. Yeah. As I said, that's what I want to do. Um, I'd also love to do an original movie musical eventually. I don't think I'm ready right now in my career quite right. yet. Um, but yeah, I'd love to do a big movie musical. I mean... You know, growing up, Sound of Music was my favorite movie. Right. And as I said, Cabaret is my, is my favorite movie now. I just, God, I just love singing and dancing. I love it. Who doesn't? Um, if there was a doll of you that talked, what would it say when you pulled the string? I, I overuse the word chic, like nobody's business. Like everything is chic. I love everything to be chic. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably say chic or um, my friend. You just pull the word and you just yeah. say chic. Also, Not even in a sentence. Uh, when I was a cinematographer, um, you know, one of the tricks to make uh, the image look really beautiful is, you know, they have diffusion um, filters, but one of the things you can do is put a stocking over the back of the lens. And so there was one short film I was DPing. Like, a, like Pantyhose. Yeah. So there was one uh, short film I was DPing, uh, and uh, my cinematography teacher encouraged me to get this specific shade of Dior. And so my friend Pam made so much fun fun of me. She was like, even my camera wears Dior, the Joey Kuhn story. (laughs) So I think maybe it would say, even my camera wears Dior. (laughs) You have to tell that story to Tom Ford one time. He'll appreciate it. But I'll change it to Tom Ford. I'm going to call this, the name of this podcast is Even My Camera Wears Dior. (laughs) It's perfect. What was your favorite or most memorable birthday? Well, we kind of discussed it in the podcast. Which one was it? Because you there talked were, about a few. The actually, glitter? Okay, so the glitter party was a was such a highlight. Right. Um, for, for so many reasons. I just felt so loved. Had, you know, uh, all my closest friends there. Dress, they had to dress up in glitter. Like, there had to be a glitter element or you would not be allowed in. And I just love making my friends happy. So to provide an environment where everyone can just have fun and dance yeah. their faces off and dress up in fun costumes... But then my 30th birthday was really special. I did another black tie dinner (laughs) with 40 people at one long table. And it was the first um, birthday I had with my, with my current boyfriend, um, Evan. And uh, I was just so happy, you know, and I'd shot my first feature. Right. You felt accomplished. I felt like an adult and I was, I was so excited to enter my thirties. Right. I, um, the 20s, I feel like for so many people, you know, you go through a lot of soul searching. And um, I didn't, and, until I made my feature and until I was in this loving relationship, I, I didn't feel like right. like a true adult. And so that 30th birthday was. It was a great moment of like, uh, like, a, like a signpost. Yeah. Um, you also picked what's the most crazy thing you've done in pursuit of a crush, but 
Sort of the theme of the movie. Yeah, and make I think making that short film and bringing it to India and showing him is the craziest thing I've ever done. Balls of steel. It is like. Then you know when sitting there watching him watch it. Yeah, you know when like a straight guy like in high school writes a song for a girl on a guitar and plays it for her. This is like that on steroids. Yeah, I feel like that's the craziest thing I've done for a crush. So what's next for you? What are you up to now? Um, I'm currently writing a new screenplay. Right. Um, it takes place in 1970s Miami Beach. Fuck, I'm in. Um, and it's about this unhappily married couple who, uh, through stealing cars, falls back in love. Um, but uh, the main character is, is inspired by my maternal grandmother, who is just fabulous. Former beauty queen. And um, just, you know, says... Says the most shocking things sometimes. Love it. Has a way with words. Wears the most fabulous outfits. Always wants life to be a party. Um, and she, in the movie, she has a gay brother who's one of the central characters. Nice. Yeah, so I'm working on that. It's kind of like an American Hustle meets Bonnie and Clyde. I love 70s, um, 80s. I just saw Everybody too. Wants Some. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's the Richard Linklater one uh-huh. with all the guys. Oh, yeah. I heard great things. It's fun. Yeah. I could just watch those guys in those outfits mm-hmm. for days. Yeah. The disco shirts and the mm-hmm. shorts and the... Why did the jeans back then show the basket more yeah. <laughs> than jeans today? Because they're not necessarily tighter. Uh-huh. They just show... They really featured it very They proudly. really did. Is it because is, is the inseam higher and it uh-huh. brings everything up? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? And I feel like There's weirdly a thesis in the 80s, film for yeah. it. Run with that. And I, I, I'd love to do a movie in the 80s as well one day. Yeah. There's this great um, YouTube channel about this filmmaker named Nelson Sullivan who was friends with RuPaul and Michael Musto back in the day. And it's all his... He filmed everything on VHS. And so someone... I think it's called the Ninth Avenue Project... Um, digitize all those VHSs and put them on YouTube, and I feel like there's a movie there of that group of friends in the 80s. Wow. Um, yeah. I just want to watch it for the hair and the clothes and yeah. the stuff. It's, it's really amazing. So, so yeah, I'm working on, on the 1970s Miami Beach screenplay, uh, a couple of other treatments that I have in mind, um, and then, you know, I really want to get into commercials and music videos. Yes. I've been obsessed with music videos growing, you know, since yeah. I was growing up, and used to watch MTV making the video. Okay. Um, and I, I love music. It's always going to be a huge part of my work. Okay. Um, you get to remake a video of a Mariah Carey song mm-hmm. with Mariah. Uh-huh. Which song do you pick and what's your take? Well, so if it's a remake, it means I... I you can do I, whatever you I, want. I, I didn't like the original video. Because right. I have to say my favorite song and video is The Roof. Okay. From I'm the gonna... Butterfly album. Okay. Look up The Roof and then Breakdown is my other favorite. I like... Okay, I'm a Honey yeah. fan, but... I love Honey. That yeah. whole Butterfly era was A+. Plus. Well, it was fun when A she got amazing. away from Tommy Mottola and she stopped yeah. wearing clothes. Yeah. That was exciting. <laughs> She's like, I'm here, I'm free, and I'm showing you my tits. Where's my jet ski? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if I had to remake a video of hers... Or direct a new one or... Yeah. I mean, I would... First of all, I would remake a lot from the current era. I also would pick her singles differently yeah. like um she led uh with your mind eternal from the me i am mariah right um the elusive chanteuse album There's and like a, what, a, lot of what a bad lead single there's so yeah. many wonderful songs on that album like dedicated like you don't know what to do which is a disco banger go listen to it if you okay. haven't yet i will um so i would have loved to do the video for you don't know what yeah. to do or my other favorite song is i'm that chick 
Okay. From the Eagles MC Squared album. I I'm going to Spotify that, that shit. You're going to make me take a fresh look at Mariah. Yeah, oh, I will give you Because you clearly have good taste. Mm, thank you. You're sophisticated and smart. <laughs> Sometimes. As your film attests, and you like Mariah, so there's uh, got to be a bridge there that I can cross. Yeah, my taste is somewhere between, <laughs> like, you know, really indie artsy stuff yeah. and that of a 15-year-old teenage girl. I love it. I love it. We all have one in us. Yeah. Tell, tell people how they can see your movie. So Those People comes out in select movie theaters in New York and L.A. on May 6th. Yes, which and, may have already passed by the time we hear this. We don't know yet. And then it'll be on DVD and digital platforms like iTunes, Amazon, and all that good stuff on June 14th. June 14th. And we are, uh, you know, small indie film and really require uh, word of mouth. Yes. Know. So if you love it, please, please tell all your friends. Um, get us up in tuxedos and watch, watch it. it. Have yeah. a party. I I love seeing. Uh, I love the Gate Film Festival circuit, and this is the best movie I've seen there in, in years. So thank you so much. I'm so happy I got to talk to you. Thank I'm you so excited for your future and what you're doing, thank and you. I want to see the Car Heist movie uh-huh. and all the rest <laughs> of it. And um, why do you love movies? I love movies because I like being transported to other worlds, and you know. The escapism of it, and I love, as I said, uh, beautiful, fancy things. So I, I love great cinematography. I love great music. But I think it's kind of one of the ultimate expressions of art. You create a whole world for people to dive into. And I think you learn stuff as an audience member about yourself through other characters. And I, I just, I love being an audience member and learning things about myself and about others and allowing other people to do that through films too. I love it. What a great note to end on. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Watch those people. You will not be sorry. And um, we'll hopefully do this again another time Mm -hmm. with another movie. Uh, Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Joey Kuhn. Check out his movie, Those People, on DVD or your favorite digital platform. It's really a terrific movie. Um, So this happened. It's um, Monday the 13th. I'm probably going to post this on the 14th. Um, Yesterday, as you know, was the horrifying events in Orlando, and my heart goes out to um, everyone involved in that that horrible tragedy. Um, As I was watching the coverage, I, I mentioned last time that I was fostering a dog, and I was as I was watching the coverage, I went into my email. And I learned that the fostering place ran my credit card, so I guess I adopted a dog. I was like, well, that was unceremonious, but um, I guess that's their policy anyway. Um, I was like, I had the dog on my, my lap, and I'm like, well, I looks like we're stuck together. So, But he's awesome. His name is Enzo, and, and so, so far so good with Enzo. But um, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye!